At, um, at Sigalite, we hold that the Bible is God's Word. As it's read and, faith, and taught faithfully and accurately, it's God speaking to us. And so we read from and preach from God's Word each week. And this week we're up to Daniel 6, 25 to 28. It'll come up on the screen for you as well. Daniel 6, 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall rule to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of God. Hey everyone, um, I'm Jake here before I haven't met you before and um, yeah, I'm just really happy to be here with you guys today. Good to see you all. I want to extend my welcome to Jezus if you are new. Um, hope you get a chance to meet you later on and I hope you feel really welcomed here. Um, if you want to see the video of my son freaking out from the helicopter that was alluded to, come and ask me after, I'd love to show you. It is genuinely hilarious and also a big shame on me as being quite a, a poor dad. Um, we're going to get into, into, Daniel, into Daniel 6 in just a moment. But um, before we do that, just one other announcement. Um, this week's actually James and Juliet's last week here with us at church. Now, these guys, um, Juliet's been here since, I think, five months in, thereabouts, into City Light. James, maybe a bit after that, a year after that, something like that. Um, and they've been huge uh, for us in this church. Um, many of you guys have been encouraged by them personally. Um, but they were part of the group that went over to Burwood, couple of years ago and were there for a year um, and, and, and went through that experience. And through that, and then being back at Bowman this year, they've been a huge blessing to my wife Sarah and I, as well as a bunch of others in our group and a bunch of others in this church. And so we're really, really sad that you guys are going. We're really, really happy for you as well as you um, move down the South Coast. And we just want you guys to know as you leave that we, we love you guys and we wish you all the best and we look forward to having you visit and visiting you guys as well. Um, so say, make sure you say something to those guys later on. They've been, they've been amazing, and we love you guys. We're going to get into Daniel 6, so let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word, and we want to thank you that we can be together. Uh, we want to just ask that in this time that you would be speaking to us, that you would be quietening any anxieties or worries that we're bringing, in, bringing to this time with us, that you would be speaking to us in a way that we can understand, that each of us would understand what we need to understand to know you, your love, uh, and why we can trust you. Help us trust you. Help us be a people who, who deeply and profoundly uh, experience the joy and the rest and the peace that comes with knowing that we are saved in you. And we, ha- we just pray that this chapter of your word would help us with that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this has been a year, as I'm sure you know, but it, sometimes you need to be reminded of, um, of significant pressure. It's not been a normal year, but I think we can forget that because things, because they've just been going so, so long, have started to feel normal. Uh, but it's not normal to have borders closed, and it's not normal to have physical contact limited, to not be able to sing in church, or to have to scan a QR code everywhere you go. It's not normal to not be able to plan parties and holidays in advance, 
and to have to get an invasive, painful, uncomfortable test whenever you get the symptoms of a cold. And for some of us in this community, it's been harder than others. It's like the, that pressure has been amplified for those of us who have been out of work or those of us that have had kind of big things we were planning towards and, and hoping in just have kind of not come into fruition because of COVID. And living in this just kind of daily state of pressure that we've been experiencing this year with everything else going on in the world as well, even though we've been spared maybe the worst that some other countries have had, has, does take a toll. It takes a toll to live in a state of pressure. And so maybe you're feeling like, I think many people are, that in some way, shape or form, your kind of outlook on life maybe even just darkened a little bit this year. Or that you might just be feeling uh, as you wake up each day, like there's this kind of weight on your shoulders of the world just being a place that evokes a little bit more worry. Because every day there are these reminders that there are things to worry about. It's really hard, I think, to, to live and just to live through a life that is filled with pressure. Yet living... A life under pressure is the normal experience for Christians. Everything that's happening with COVID aside, the experience of Christians living in a post-Christian world is one in which we, we encounter pressure every single day. We've been talking about throughout this series how we find ourselves in a culture that is subtly and yet fundamentally opposed to a life following Jesus. We've talked about how, uh, how as followers of Jesus, we go through life and we find our lives just peppered with these almost stress-inducing moments. When you overhear someone, on, whether it's someone you know, someone at work, someone on TV, just talking ne- negatively about Christians, it can just kind of raise those stress levels for us. When you turn on the news and you see another famous pastor that looked like they were making kind of inroads into culture, uh, being ousted as a fake or a failure or a fraud, it's, it's discouraging. Uh, when the outlook looks bleak and you hear of you know, churches maybe getting smaller or just generally being flawed, and when, when every single day there are just these little kind of moments in our day, in our, our week, in our life, where we see these opportunities to get ahead in some way or to even just get some bit of happiness in the moment by, by leaving Jesus behind. There's pressure that comes with being a minority and, and a minority that for the most part our world would be happy to do without. And I think you can take on this latent feeling of anxiety and worry and fear and doubt as you wonder, is God going to show up? How long can I keep trusting? And this book of Daniel, as we explore his life in in Babylon, is helping us week in, week out, understand how it is that we can keep trusting God whilst in the margins. And we've been tracking the story of Daniel now for, for quite some weeks, and we're now at this point of the story, essentially decades into Daniel's life, living as a captive. It's been decades since he's been able to, um, to be at home in Jerusalem where he was born. It's been decades since he's been able to worship at his temple. It's been decades since he's just been able to worship God even freely. And what we see in this story, which, which really is the kind of, as far as the narrative go, the, goes, the kind of culmination of the book of Daniel, uh, we see Daniel's deep trust in the midst of pressure and how that deep trust is ultimately vindicated, leading to the conversion of this king. And my hope is today, as we go through this, we're going to be looking at this whole of chapter 6, this whole narrative, is that it would be encouragement for us today. That it would actually be a refreshment to our souls and to our lives to consider the God that we can trust in. So we're going to be looking at Daniel's life of deep trust and what underpins that. We're going to be looking at the God who actually can be trusted, and then we're going to be considering the impact that that trust could have in the world today. 
And like I said, we've gone through the whole chapter. So if you've got your Bibles open, um, you can go right back to the beginning of chapter 6 from verse 1. We're going to be going through it and stopping at a few points and just reflecting on what this has to say to us. So we're going we're gonna to start now in Daniel chapter 6, uh, verse 1. And it will all come up on the screen as well. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The chapter starts, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So where this story picks up, at the end of last week, we finished chapter 5. There's this new king in town. Uh, king Darius has taken over. He feels positively towards Daniel. And so he elevates him to be one of the top three guys over the kingdom. And, he's, and things are going well for him. He's got a reputation for being trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. So finally in the book of Daniel, things seem to be going kind of well uh, for the first time. Um, but like so often I think happens in kind of political situations where there's kind of power plays, there's some guys who are jealous of the position that Daniel holds. And so what do they do? They go and try to find some dirt on him to dig up, to kind of disqualify him, to get him knocked down, and they find nothing. So they work out what they've got to do. They're going to have to make something up that has something to do with his God. So verse 6 continues. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Like Jess said before, this is a story that uh, I think um, if you grew up in church, you've probably done a craft on this or it was had on the felt board or something like that, which can downplay what's really going on here. This is, like, this is a religious uh, attack. I mean, the content of what's going on here is full, and this guy is singled out because of his religion, put in a situation where what he's facing is getting just torn to shreds by lions. And so, like, don't kind of, and many of us know the ending of the story. I mean, Jez read the very end of the story before. Um, don't read that into it. Just for a moment, put yourself in what this would feel like. To, to be in a culture where you, where you just found out that even something as simple as praying to God would land you with a death sentence. That, that is the, the case in the world today in some places. Um, it's, it's not the case here, but can you just imagine that feeling? Just the injustice of it. The sense of kind of loss. The sense of just, man, like, I thought we were going to finally get a break and now things are going backwards again. The discouragement that he'd be facing, it'd make you want to give up. And so it's against this backdrop of a kind of this um, immense tension that we get to an opportunity to really see Daniel's trust and what underpins it. So look at how Daniel responds in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, 
giving thanks to his God just as he'd done before. I don't know what you'd do if you were Daniel in this situation. I mean, there's kind of a few ways you could probably think there's some valid ways to go about this other than what he does. Like, you could think, well, it's just 30 days. Just keep a low profile. Keep your head down. Maybe just pray in quiet for a little bit and wait it out. The other way you could maybe go about it would be to kind of fight the rule, to kind of um, do a trump, bring all the lawyers in, just kind of overrule the thing. He's got an ear to King Darius, so he could go and be like, look, Darius, they've tricked you. This law is not a real law. It's kind of just set up to, to stop me. But instead what he does is takes on this real calm response where he just goes and continues doing what he's doing in bringing himself before God three times a day. Daniel isn't you know, a superhuman. You've got to assume he's a guy that felt fear, who felt anxiety. Um, but you don't really see that in the story. All you see in this story is the calmness of his response. He's, we're told he does one thing, and that is to continue praying. And I think this little act that Daniel does is, is going and continue praying gives us a window on a deep inner life that maybe has been what has been sustaining him throughout these decades of opposition. Daniel's got a deep inner life that sustains him. And the writer intentionally notes that this isn't just something Daniel does in response to this new law and this risk that he's in. It's saying he does what he's done before. It's not a panicked response, but it's the bedrock of his life that morning, noon, and night, he would stop, he would humble himself on his knees, face back to his home he hasn't seen in years, give thanks to his God and bring everything before him. Daniel shows himself to be a person who's got a deep inner life that that underpins his deep trust. Now, I really enjoy trees. um, And you might think, well, that's not uh, a very interesting thing to enjoy. But it is. Um, Because it's great. If you enjoy trees, you're always going to be happy because there's trees everywhere. And so sometimes I'll be walking and I'll comment on a tree and my wife, Sarah, will say, can can we just go one day where you don't talk about trees? Um, I can't and I won't because they're fascinating. Um, I really love, uh, I've been to, for seven years now, every spring, this is my good time of year right now, we're coming into it, um, I, I plant a bunch of seeds and I just watch them grow over the summer. It's really satisfying to me, it's really frustrating every year when I realise I can't do anything with them because I don't own any land, so they end up just dying off in the next winter. Um, I found out this morning though, someone, a guy at 11am just bought a house, he's going to let me plant a tree in his yard, I'm really happy about that, so good analogy, got me a tree planting opportunity. Um, but we live across the road from, from a park, uh, as, as mentioned before, and um, it's got some really impressive trees. I'm just so thankful that 100 years ago, someone who doesn't get to enjoy it now had the foresight to go around, plant a bunch of like, pine trees of all these different species that now grow, shoot up you know, 70 metres into the sky. There are these fig trees that have got like, branches that just create so much shade, almost as big as this hall, and, and like five metre thick trunks. They're impressive, and if... If a person ever built a tree, you'd think they were either a genius or insane just to have created something just so, so magnificent. But the thing with trees is that you only ever see half of them. When you think of a tree, I think what comes to mind in your head as you picture a tree is really from the ground up. Like it's, you know, you've got the trunk, you've got the leaves, you guys know what a tree is. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, and I think actually if you think about it, it's more important. Like, you know, anyone can kind of grow up through the air. What's more amazing is these root systems that are as big as the tree above the ground that have dug down through, through rock and dirt and clay that create stability for the rest of it to exist. And so there's been a few times over the last few weeks I've had some nice big storms and I've sat on the balcony and I've seen these, these pines that I can see just kind of swaying back and forth and deep down hoping maybe one will fall down because that'll be exciting. 
but, but they don't fall down. And the reason they don't fall down is because they've got these root systems that are just so, so stable that you can't see. There is this deep, hidden reality, reality that gives them strength and stability, even in, in a pretty wild storm. I reckon it's the case that when you come across in your life, as you do time to time, they, they, these Christian people that just have this degree of trust and faith that you just look up to, you're just like, I wish I could just trust as much as they do. Like Daniel here, it's because there is some deep inner life sustaining them. Daniel reveals himself to be a person that just has depth, there is a depth to his soul and an anchoring in God that can't be uprooted by this law that's been passed. He's got deep roots in God. Now, here at Sealite, we talk often like, to the point of repetition, maybe to the point of annoyance about the daily practices of actually praying, of, of reading God's word, hearing him speak, and just time and time again going back to God alone and in private. And the reason we talk about this isn't because we've run out of things to talk about like a year into church and so we're on repeat. The reason is that what happens beneath the surface, what happens in, in the private, in your soul, as you meet with God day in and day out, is akin to a system of roots growing deep into the knowledge of who God is and what he's done that will provide stability for you when, when, when the storms come, when the tensions heat up, the slow daily work of the soul. Just like roots stabilize a tree through slow and steady growth, we need to be people who don't just exist above the surface in what can be seen. If the extent of your meeting with God is what each and one of us can see in each other right now here on a Sunday, we love that you're here, but that's not going to be the thing that, that, that creates a deep and abiding trust in God. The stresses of this year have reminded me that I need roots that go deep. And maybe that's been the case for you as well. As, 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 as this year has been challenging, as it's been maybe in some ways discouraging or difficult or confusing, to be revealed that we need strong foundations. We need to have a deep trust. And if that's, if that's your experience of this year, that you've kind of had like some exposing of your soul, that there's maybe not quite enough going on to sustain you, don't, don't feel guilty at that. That's, that's God reminding you, that's considered a grace that God has held on to you to this point. And he's maybe even using this year that we might be people who actually grow stronger than we've ever been before. I've been reminded of this in the positive sense, like in having an opportunity this year, as many of us have, to actually taste the goodness of meeting with God. I think the most encouraging, one of the most encouraging things that I've experienced this year so far is when about a month ago we did that on the long weekend, committed as a church to all spending an hour with God just on our own, having person after person just share how encouraging that was how refreshing it was to meet with God and, and just be uninterrupted and listen to him. Um, to have people say, like, why don't we do that every day? Why don't we do that every week, setting aside this time to be with God? Um, we need to be people. We need to be people who, who invest in our inner lives, who pour into that, even when it's tiring, even when we don't know when things will get easier, and even when we don't know the future. And so for Daniel, that meant continuing his practice of meeting with God, even in the face of death even though there were evil men against him. And he had, at this point in time, he didn't have the benefit of knowing how his story would end. But as we continue the narrative, we see that God does prove himself to be a God who's worth trusting. God is a God we can trust. Verse 11 continues. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. 
Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown to the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So, so you see in this story, this, there's almost this irony that this king who has, has been set up to be someone who can be worshipped as a god is shown to be someone who can be just duped by a series of advisors. He's, he's trapped himself with his own law, and, he, and regrettably so. He actually doesn't want any harm to come to Daniel. He's a, he's a person he respects. He's someone who's trustworthy, and yet he's been tricked. There's this irony that he's not really the one that's in control, but not able to do anything. Verse 16 continues, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And the story goes that he is rescued. If we skip ahead now, we'll skip a few verses to verse 20. It says, When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. I like a Pretty long story, but pretty impressive story here. Uh, it's pretty crazy what goes on. We see, against any odds, and miraculously so, that God here is a God who saves. That he is vindicated, and Daniel's trust is revealed to be in the right place. And I think this is important for us to remember as we seek to trust God, right? Because just trust on its own is nothing. Um, you can, I mean, you've had experiences, I'm sure, of trusting people who have let you down. It's not just about conjuring up a, a bunch of trust in someone that can't be trusted. But trusting in someone who's trustworthy is everything. And we see here that God is a God who can save from death. Daniel isn't harmed, but rather he's actually given God's comforting presence and an angel to protect him. Now, Daniel gives a reason that why he's saved. He says, um, it was in verse 22, he says that God saved him because he was found innocent in his sight. Because he's done no wrong. And I reckon that on its own isn't necessarily the most comforting thing for us, to hear that Daniel is saved because he's pretty much perfect. Um, because you and me, right, as much as we, we, we look at Daniel and we're like, we want to be like that guy, we're not really that much like that guy. Where people who are, who, are, who are wavering and fleeting and often lacking trust and, and lacking faith, we don't have perfect track records like he does. So as we've done, as we've looked through Daniel each week, we've got to remember that Daniel isn't just someone that we're meant to be like, but he's someone who points us to someone greater. He's, a, he's an example of, of Jesus coming later on. I don't know if you're reading through this, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, but the similarities with Jesus are really unavoidable in this. Jesus and Daniel were both people living under a foreign, oppressive rule. 
as Daniel faced a conspiracy of the powerful who were, who were jealous of his position, so too did Jesus. He was, he was set up by the Pharisees. As Darius sought to, to save Daniel and recognized that what was going on wasn't fully just, so too Pilate tried to save Jesus. As Daniel could have avoided persecution just by recanting and quieting down, so too Jesus had an opportunity to give up and to turn back and didn't. As Daniel prayed prior to the trial he was about to go through, so too did Jesus pray in the garden. As Daniel was sealed in the lion's den, Jesus was sealed in the tomb. And as Daniel was ultimately vindicated, when the stone, when the stone was rolled away from Jesus' tomb, he had ridden, risen. But there's really just one key difference between Daniel and Jesus. Where Daniel was saved from harm, Jesus died. That's the difference. And the reason Jesus died is because although he was blameless, we are not. His death was for us. He died in our place that you and I wouldn't have to be forever tied to our guilt, but instead our our guilt could be dealt with with him so that when our turn came to face death, we could have the certainty of life. That's the hope we have as Christians, that as we face death, which we will, we, do, we want to ignore this time and time again, we want to ignore the fact, but each day is a day closer to death. When that day comes, even though we haven't been blameless, we can be declared innocent. That's why Jesus died. That is our hope. That is what we trust in above all else. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're with us. If you're joining us online, maybe you just clicked this, clicked into it, and you just try, what are these guys on about? We want to be really upfront about what we've got to offer. We're not offering um, necessarily an easy life. We're not offering really much at all other than what we've got to offer in Jesus. Um, In Jesus, we've got one that we can put our trust in to know without really any doubt that we are loved, the God who made this universe cares about us so deeply that he sent his son into the world to die so that when our time comes, we can be confident of having life eternally with God. And, and knowing that truth, is a, that's a truth that gives you rest. It's a truth that gives you peace as, as life with its crazy ups and downs just keep happening to us and around us, that we've got an anchor for our soul, something to trust in, to know that Jesus died in our place. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to remember that you've put your trust in some place solid. Salvation is guaranteed. God is a God you can trust in. You can rest in him. So even in the chaos, even in COVID years, even in living in a post-Christian culture, you can know at the end of the day it is going to be okay. The most important thing is sorted. Just as God was with Daniel and saved him, he is with us now and will save us. So to finish this, this story, we've got one last bit to go where we're just going to see the impact that Daniel's trust in God's vindication ultimately has. Daniel's story ends with, with a vindication. And, but in particular, it ends with this king, King Darius, in essence, issuing a decree that's kind of the opposite of the first one. Um, from verse 26, this is um, Darius speaking. He says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
as we, as we finish here, and ultimately as we finish the kind of narrative section of the book of Daniel, we've got a couple more weeks in the book of Daniel, but it kind of changes a bit, so look forward to that. But as we finish this kind of part of Daniel's life, um, we see the impact that a life lived faithfully trusting in God can have. It seems like a short story, the book of Daniel, because we've only been in it for a few weeks here at church, and if you read it in one sitting, it would take half an hour. But really, it's the story of decades. It's the story of the long game of, of Daniel, just day in, day out, keeping his trust through opposition, seeking the good of the kingdom, being uncompromising in his faith, and it ends up turning the king of Babylon, the, 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 the city that has caused so much harm and destruction, to actually turn him for God. So I just want to invite us to, to dream as a church and as individuals about what, what could that look like over our lives? What could a, a lifetime of deep trust look like for you? What impact would it have if we were people who actually marked by and lived out the trust that we have in Jesus? We've said this kind of line before, but, but what our world needs is a people who are a non-anxious presence. We need people who actually have a real sense of inner peace that comes with the trust of knowing what Jesus has done for us. Because our world is freaking out, it's confused and it's stressed. And there's something really powerful about a calming presence. I don't know if you've ever had moments of like full body anxiety, like when you're just so stressed that you know your, your hands are sweating, your heart rate's pounding, your whole body feels alert, almost nauseous. Um, hopefully that's not a common occurrence for you. Um, but for me, I had one of those moments this year, at the start of the year when my wife Sarah gave birth to River. And I'm not going to ruin your Sunday afternoon with any more details than that. But, um, but as someone who like deeply wants to be in control and enjoys being in control, it stressed me out on a level I haven't really had before. Because um, I didn't know what was going on. I had no frame of reference to make sense of my experience and what was going on around me. Um, I was out of my depth, and I just felt like there were so many things that could go wrong. And so I was freaking out. I was anxious. I was worried. And uh, the thing above anything else that kind of kept kind of leveling me out and bringing me kind of back down and calming me down was the nurses and the midwives in the room who knew what was going on. They, were, they, were, they, they would go about their business kind of working like diligently and sometimes quickly, but always calmly. No matter kind of what happened, they were just like the, the calmest people on earth. You could see in their face, they were just kind of like, everything's okay. Because they knew something that I didn't. They knew that even when things are getting pretty hectic, that, that they know what they're doing and things are going to be all right. There's this calmness that was just so compelling to me in that time. I wonder what the impact would be to our, to our city to have scattered throughout it people with a deep-rooted sense that because of Jesus, everything's going to be okay. I think that's what the world needs from us like right now more than anything. Um, especially in this year, when a lot of the kind of bells and whistles of what we can do as a church have been like stripped back and taken away. We're talking about you know, Christmas coming up in a year that we can't even sing carols. Like, what are we going to do? I don't know. But... Um, Right at this moment, I think God might be trying to push on us that what we need is the, is the most basic fundamental thing we have, which is a life transformed by the gospel. A sense of peace, a, a sense of rest that comes with that when everyone else really has no answer to the problem of death, has no answer to the problem of making sense of this life, that we have that. So I want to finish by getting you to consider for your own life just three questions in, in light of, of this account in Daniel chapter 6. Um, Firstly, are you building a life of deep trust? It is the case that 
you can't really give to others something you don't have for yourself. I think sometimes as Christians we can even be repelled by, like if you use the word evangelism, because it can conjure up maybe the image of you know, being a door-to-door salesman, kind of peddling some low-grade product you don't really believe in, more out of duty than, than anything else. But the work of the Christian isn't to go out and peddle a product we don't believe in. The, the work of the Christian is just to be open with and share a deep trust that has been a salve to our souls, something that we actually value and cherish and has impacted and changed our lives in the deepest sense. We want to be people who joyfully share the God of peace. And so if you're not in a place at the moment where you're actually kind of feeling the conviction of that trust and that joy and that peace that comes, like that's, that's okay, but don't be content with that. If you're feeling, feeling maybe the same amount of stress that everyone else in the world is feeling, listen to that and actually restart the process of trusting. For Daniel, that's built on a life of prayer, of just day in, day out, lifting up to God what he's feeling, being thankful for what good things he's got and praying through his worries to actually bring your life to God, recenter on him every single day and, and be, so that we might be a people of genuine trust. Secondly, I want to ask, are you visible? We kind of skimmed over it in the story, but Daniel you know, makes a note to say he prayed with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Um, he could have closed the windows and the blinds and still prayed and this story would have gone a completely different way. If that had happened... He wouldn't have been thrown in the lion's den, but God wouldn't have been vindicated. The king wouldn't have been converted. And ultimately, as the story goes on, the people wouldn't have been able to go back to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know, like, it's hard to be hypothetical about that kind of stuff. But I just wonder, what opportunities are we potentially missing out on by being closed off with our faith? What could be happening that maybe isn't happening because we're not open enough and not visible enough? Because um, we're not running a covert operation here. Um, sometimes I think that we, we try, like, like we think of ourselves as like spies who are trying to go for like deep cover in all the different areas of kind of life. And so you, we're like feeling like, yes, I've, like I've infiltrated like the mother's group and no one there knows. No one knows I'm a Christian. Like I'm in, I've got the workplace, I'm getting promoted. I've been promoted like three times over the last few years and no one's even figured out I'm a Christian yet. I'm in, I'm getting the influence. And I think like, that's such a crazy way to think because that's not the goal. Um, you know, people even use sometimes as a compliment, like, wow, I wouldn't have picked them for a Christian, as if that's like something to kind of like speak up about someone that they're not like tainted with Christianity. Um, we, we can be hesitant to be open about our faith. Now, we're not like a massive church, but between our 11 a.m., 4 p.m., if you think about the, the sum total of every person that we all collectively come into contact with you know, on a conversation-level basis every single week, we've actually got the potential to have a huge influence. If we're just open about our trust in Jesus, we don't shy away from, from speaking up and just sharing the, the joyful truth that we know. So are you visible with the trust that you've got in Jesus? And then finally, are you in it for the long haul? We might just need to be reminded that God plays the long game. Often our impact isn't measured in days or in weeks, but actually in years. There might be years of faithfulness leading just to some particular moment that God has in mind that he might choose to reveal himself to someone in your life. We're just seven years into this church. And many of us, we've been at this church for much less than seven years. And so I don't know what the future holds, but I want to encourage us as a church to keep trusting and resting in Jesus, to be patient with God, to be willing just to, to, 
to keep doing what we can do, which is to put our trust in Him and bring our life to Him and to rest in the fact that He is on the throne, that He has a plan and that everything is going to be okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word and Daniel's life and just the things that we can glean from that. And I just pray that we would be a people of a deep trust. People who have an inner life that we invest in, but that you just reward with actually giving us times of intimacy and closeness uh, with you. There would be people who have foundations that run real deep, that we wouldn't be a, uh, a group of people who are easily um, just smashed around by circumstances, that we wouldn't have uh, a, an experience of you that's just above the surface, what we see, what is public in here on a Sunday, but that we would just have roots that go real deep. We thank you that you're a God that can be trusted, that you are the God who saves and saves from death, the one thing we can do nothing about, and that we have that hope because of Jesus. And we pray that we would be people who are, who are just transformed by this so much so that people around us can see you for who you are. Lord, for anyone here who is just confused and maybe like first time at church, this is just hard to, to, to grapple with and just raises more questions. I just pray that you'd be using today, using following weeks, using conversations just to, to help everyone here who's looking for you find you. You would be revealing yourself to them. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.